to Interviews. Hi, I'm your host, Sophia Negron, a former professional dancer turned professional photographer. Here's where I interview former professional artists that have moved on to a new career and learn about their stories of discovery, transition, passion, and resilience. My hope is that you will feel inspired to embrace your creativity, see the value in it, and let it color the rest of your endeavors. So, what will be your act two? Hi, I am Sophia Negron, and today I am here with Ann Ruthman, who is a currently a business consultant for creatives and art organizations, as well as a Reiki teacher and master practitioner. But before all of that, she was a photographer, many iterations of that, and she also did a bunch of other stuff like singing and theater, so she's definitely a former artist, and she still is kind of an artist anyway. But thanks for coming on and chatting with me, Anne. Thank you so much, and thank you for hosting this podcast. I'm like really excited about um, all of the interviews that are happening. Yeah, I've, it's been something I've been wanting to do for years, and I just kept putting it off, so I'm like, quarantine, great time to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you you did a bunch of stuff before you actually became a photographer. How did you even get into doing photography? Um, there's actually a TEDx talk about out there about my journey from um, different arts into photography. So if anyone gets super curious and wants to see the whole thing, it's there. But basically, while I was um, pursuing a music career, I started taking headshots for my classmates and my friends, and that led into doing engagements and then weddings, and then suddenly I had a business around taking pictures, and it suited me a little better than the music career that I had been pursuing, and that was something I had to evaluate kind of quickly um, because it was a very big change in direction, and it meant going from living a life as an employee to living a life as a business owner. Yeah, yeah that's, that's interesting because I never really think about artists as employees, but I guess if you're singing with a choir or performing in a show, you are the employee. Um, yeah, and, and as a teacher, music teacher, too, that's, you know, an employment for the arts as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because I think um, my own experience was so much as a freelancer where I would, you know, work for a company for maybe a, one show. And then you're out again looking for other work. So it always kind of felt like I was the master of my own destiny and got to choose kind of who and what I was going to work on. Um, and see, that's interesting because that was the thing that I decided I didn't want was I didn't want the gig to gig kind of life, um, which is funny because photography ends up being a gig to gig kind of life yeah. as well. Um, but I think that the timeline of weddings, um, when I, or when I first started made it feel much more predictable yes. than a gigging life. And that, um, gave me the confidence to move forward in that direction. Right. I mean, of course, as artists, we all hope we land that big contract where you're, you know, doing a Broadway show for five years or you're dancing in a company for five, 10, 20 years or singing in a choir. I mean, you mentioned that you have friends that sing at the Met, you know, and I'm sure that they were working on that forever and they're like, thank God I'm now at the Met. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen their journey and I'm like, man, that, it, that has taken a long time and you have to love that hardcore. And I did not love it that hardcore. And as soon as I recognized that, I was like, yeah, not me. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that's, like, uh. that's so great. And I think that comes, I mean, that kind of happened for me. It was like, it was getting to a point where I was like, do I love this enough to keep living this lifestyle? And then when I thought I was going to segue into theater, when I started doing it, I was like, you know what? 
yeah, this is the same as dance. I don't think I want this. <laughs> so, you know, we both segued into photography. So when you started getting into photography, did you meet any resistance? Were people like, you were a music teacher. Like, what are you doing doing photography? Did you even study photography is one question on top well, of that. I didn't study... Yeah, I didn't study formally. I studied for myself and my own curiosity. So it was something I was always really building skills in um, just for myself. Like, mm -hmm. oh, that's cool. They make the water blurry. How do they do that? Or, oh, that's you know interesting. They have this way of combining these perspectives to make a really interesting mm -hmm. photo. How would I accomplish that? So I, I was very curious about the technical aspects of photography, like in high school um, after being even a manual camera to work with. Um, but it was always just my own art. And um, I think it, it happened very gradually and naturally because I wanted to serve my friends. I wanted to help my friends. And no one else really, you know, was offering this thing that they could help with. And it was natural for me to ask for money at that time because there's film to be developed. Um, you know, there was developing to pay for. And so I got in the habit of being able to say, you know, to be like, hey, can I use you to experiment on some, you know, different techniques for my own thing? And then they would see those images and they would like them and they would want to share them. Or I would say, um, hey, you know, I would love to gift this to you for your engagement or for your wedding. Um, and it was a small cost gift to me. But then they would share those images with a lot of other people. And that was when um, other people started asking me that I didn't know that we're like strangers, but they knew my friend. That I was like, okay, well, can you cover the cost of this and that? And uh, I might need a new lens because now you're getting married in a really dark place and now I need a flash. And, you know, so mm -hmm. it, it built very gradually and very naturally. I didn't, I didn't exactly know that there was something I was going to do until I made a move um, for my spouse's career from Michigan to Indiana. And the, I thought initially I was going to be working in Indiana in the public schools as a music teacher. Um, but by that time, that summer, I already had enough weddings that I was overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. And, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go full, full ahead in this, in this direction. Um, and try and make it work because the music teacher's salary wasn't looking that appealing. Um, it wasn't looking much better than what I was bringing in with photography. And um, the, um, the way the systems worked in Indiana with music teachers also was not appealing to me. So it was a prime time to make that shift. And really, um, I think I had already been kind of like, like oiling the pipes long enough with mm -hmm. people by sharing my images regularly and sharing other people asking me about them and other people sharing them that um, there really wasn't any resistance because it was kind of like a drip effect that just butterflied into something much bigger. And that I, I think gave people a lot of confidence um, to be like, okay, well, she's just, she's going in a new direction now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And how long do you think that transition kind of took from that music teacher into being just full-time photography? It felt pretty rapid. It felt like um, like the first year I would qualify what I was doing as like part-time, mm -hmm. maybe in 2000. Like I think I started just like piddling around with giving people gifts in 2003. So I wasn't asking for money. I don't think at that time, maybe I had, maybe I did one wedding at cost at that time. And then the next year from all those gifts turned into like a part-time job and then we moved and then it was full-time. Yeah. So it was, it felt pretty rapid to me. Like within just a couple of years, my entire career focus shifted. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to kind of figure out is like you said I guess you were self-teaching you were teaching yourself how to do photography so it kind of gradually grew um but then how did you end up becoming a business consultant and a Reiki master I mean Reiki is so different from photography <laughs> totally I agree <laughs> Although there is an element of awareness and observation 
that is certainly helpful okay. um, that transfers in a just a kind of like um a mental way you know the ability to observe somebody and to be really aware of their emotions their um where they're at you know just yeah. in themselves um which you know you really hone in on when you're doing emotional events like weddings um and when you're doing things like portraits you that's something that you know we we learn pretty quickly um as far as the business consulting it was very natural again it was kind of like a side thing that I, that just as people saw that I was having a lot of success in photography they would reach out and ask hey can you help me with this business thing um I had been writing a lot about photography business on a photo love cat blog and curating a lot of the things that I was learning about running a creative business um on that blog and so there were a lot of people who were um, you know, just checking in and seeing what things I was writing about. Um, I would share it out in the community. I found that that blog for me became a way for me to um, not have to repeat myself when the advice was the same for everybody. So yeah. I was like, I was, <laughs> I was like, okay, here's this problem that comes up all the time in our industry. I'm just going to write an article about it so I can just link to that article and share that. Um, as a way to be helpful. I just wanted to be helpful to the um, photo community and the greater creative community. And um, when I started doing more um, like architecture and interiors, um, I kind of became a little bit of an image social media marketing consultant for a lot of my okay. interior and architecture clients who were, you know, starting out as small firms, starting out um, early in their businesses and needed a lot of that marketing help because they really wanted to focus on the design and the, right. you know, the construction of stuff. Um, so then I also found myself often dipping into that, you know, creative business consulting category um, with those clients just in my service to them as a photographer. So those things kind of, it was like a drip effect. And um, after a while I was like, okay, I think, um, and I think that I can, I can build this a little more. And then I, you know, reached out to some arts organizations and started working with them as well. And that um, became a little bigger. And my previous history with some arts organizations in various capacities, grant writing um, is something I had done while I was in music school, um, research for arts organizations, um, like strategic planning. Those were things that I had already been doing before. Right. Um, so I already had confidence in. Um, the Reiki thing was really just to help me manage all my feels <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> I didn't realize I was a very empathetic person or a very clairsentient person, like have very clear sense of feels. And um, I didn't realize that I had this until I was in an environment where I could not escape people on the sidewalk where, you know, I'd walk by 500 people in 20 minutes and feel all of it. Wow. <laughs> and, and I was like, I need a way to control that, to, to like manage my feels just so that I'm not like um, over, feeling overwhelmed just from walking, you know, down a sidewalk. It's like yeah. for people who might, might be scared of large crowds or who might be sensitive to, you know, being in a closed environment, um, I had never thought of myself that way, but New York really brought that up for me. And um, and so I found that Reiki seemed to be a technique um, based on an intro, you know, kind of class that I did that was something that might be able to help me manage that in a healthier way. And it really did. Like, it helped me manage um, my business in a better way as well. I was, a lot of Reiki can be about boundary setting. Oh. And um, so it really helped me with a lot of the boundary work um, that came with like setting strong but healthy and compassionate boundaries with clients, with um, there are some developers in New York City who are, whew, they will take you down. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're very savvy at manipulation and they're very savvy at, um, you know, getting every last bit out of you. And that's how they um, are so successful and so wealthy. Right. And so um, Reiki was one of those things that really strengthened my internal kind of compass as to what was right for me and what um, helped me be stronger in myself. And it was really through taking the classes that people started telling me, oh, wow, you're, you're really accurate when you talk about something that you feel in my body that you can't see. And um, that kind of 
happened a lot. And so yeah. that gave me the confidence to know that, oh yeah, this, this clear sensing thing, this empathetic, physical empathy is something maybe that can also serve other people who maybe don't have that clarity um, right. that I can offer. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So do you think the stuff that you did as a theater person and as a music person and all of those creative things led, you know, did you carry those things that you learned into your photography business and then into this consulting and Reiki? I mean, you talked a little bit about it already, but. Yeah, um, I think that theater is one of those things that translates to a lot of different categories, but is often really under recognized as a yeah. very transferable skill. Um, the idea of telling someone else's story in a very meaningful and convincing way is amazing for sales and marketing. And um, it's a skill that you hone, you know, very precisely in theater as you learn to control your emotion, you control your expression, you get very conscious about how you are quiet or how you are loud or how you're empathetic or whatever you are, right? <laughs> And um, so I think those skills transfer really well into a business environment where you kind of have to put yourself out there, um, especially if you're a sole proprietor, um, like the networking meetings, it's kind of like if you can be comfortable auditioning, you can be comfortable in a networking environment and in a cold call environment right? Um, because you're putting yourself on the spot and you are, um, you know, really you are selling yourself. Right. And that's exactly what you're doing in an audition as well. Yeah. Um, you're trying to understand the environment, what the people need, um, how your talent and your skill and your look and your whatever can fit into that for them. So mm -hmm. um, I think theater certainly translates in that way in the communication aspect of it. Um, yeah. Is that I would say um, musicianship. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think if, if like the actual aspect of musicianship, I would say the act of being a musician, the um, dedication to practice um, and the dedication to failing and trying again until you get it right. Um, yeah. is an amazing skill that I think a lot of people outside of the arts, maybe you develop it in sports as well um, to try and hone your physical skill but in music, it's a listening skill. It's a um, it's a self perfection skill. Yeah. Um, and it's a really like it's a it's a being being um, aware of where you are, but also aware of where you are within a larger context um, right. in an ensemble, which yeah. I'm sure dance as well. I say I think that dance. I think all the performing arts are exactly like that. I mean, theater you have to listen. You know. One thing you can't do is just say your lines, and but you have to listen and react to whoever you're talking to. And even if you're doing a monologue, you know, you gotta still know who you're talking to and how you're reacting. There was something you said when you were talking about theater where you said that um, you are really good at storytelling, which I think very much translates to photography especially the kind that you did because you had to tell other people's stories and listen to them and observe them and, you know, be, I think probably that Claire's sentient ability that you have probably really helped with weddings. And maybe you didn't notice as much because everybody was happy. <laughs> right, right. Well, well, I did notice that I couldn't, be a photographer who was a news photographer because of that sensitivity. Okay. I couldn't take pictures of sad people, mean people, angry people. Um, I could take pictures of pretty things and I could take pictures of happy people. <laughs> 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 and sometimes mischievous people or curious people, but um, there were definitely things there I could not click the button. I was like, oh no, oh no, I just want to go help them. That's, that's, I can't take a picture of that. Yeah. So I knew then that I couldn't be like a news photographer or that wouldn't fly or right. a crime scene photographer. God, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Although I do, 
I do like that podcast, My Favorite Murder, and, I, and I'm always up for a crime thriller. So, you know, I did like Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you have kind of, I remember when you sent out the news that you were not going to do photography anymore and was going to concentrate on the consulting and the Reiki. What was that transition like? I mean, how did you decide that, you know what, I'm not going to do photography anymore. I'm going to do these other things. And how did, I mean, how did you, how did you deal with that? And then how did your clients react? <laughs> so if you want to talk about that. Yeah, sure. Actually, their clients were all very graceful. And I think I really tried really hard to make it as graceful and easy on them as possible. Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, I, I didn't even see my own split from photography coming the year before it happened. It was more like, so there, I think there are these moments in all, all of our businesses, if we're running a business, where things are really hard mm -hmm. and you really want to give up. And I had several of those moments before in my business, and I knew what they felt like. What they what they felt like, and um, I knew that those moments were the moments I needed to uh, reorganize the way that I worked, mm -hmm. streamline the way that I worked, um, improve the way that I worked because I was meeting a challenge and I needed to overcome the challenge. So when I decided that, like, I was feeling done with photography. I was actually without any of those challenges. I was in a, such a good place. I was in like a place where I felt so supported. I loved my clients. Um, I, I just, I really loved everything that was going on. And that was actually what gave me clarity that my decision to leave photography was coming from the right place. I wasn't coming from a place of running away from problems. I was okay. coming from a place of... <clears throat> I feel like I have taken this journey as far as I can take it. Um, I know I could keep working on it. I know I could keep improving it. I know I could keep honing it. Um, but now everything feels very repetitive. Um, I'm solving all the same problems. The projects, you know, aren't aren't getting um, aren't that different. Um, there's a very heavy routine and some people feel very comfortable in that place. Like that is a place where you feel like you've made it. Yeah. Oh no, not me. No, <laughs> I, I love the hard way. <laughs> I love the learning part and right. the part that comes from meeting challenges. Who wants to have an easy life? Um, <laughs> I think we all kind of hope at some point it'll be easy. <laughs> Um, and part of the decision also was made when uh, my spouse and I decided to um, travel the world for a year. So I knew that it was kind of, it was also like another priming of that time. Like, okay, well, my clients aren't going to have access to me for a year anyway, right? Um, how this is, if I was going to step away, this is a really good time anyway, because the timing works out. Um, and it'll hopefully give me the space to build these other things a little more thoroughly. Okay. Um, so knowing that, I then also kind of had to like backtrack my timeline, because I knew from previous transitions with moving my business multiple times, that it takes a good year um, after you've ended a business relationship to really close out that business relationship. Right. So knowing I was going to start traveling in, um, 2019, I then decided, okay, well, I have to end my business relationships in 2018, um, the beginning of 2018 or the beginning of, or the end of 2017 in the photography area, um, because they're going to want a lot of work follow-up. They're going to want me to wrap up as many projects as they can get out of me. Right. And that was absolutely true. Um, and I felt it was really important to make the very clear distinction that I'm not going to be coming back to photography. Um, there are certainly times like during the pandemic where I'm like, that would be a great way to make money right now. <laughs> <laughs> How would we make money as a photographer right now? Well, so 
Real estate definitely has um, a few more affordances um, than like events and portraits because right. I don't have to be in direct contact with anyone and I can just um, receive permission to enter buildings and take photos and leave buildings when no one else is there. Right. Um, so there are some advantages to that. Yeah. Um, however, the designers and the architects need to be in a financial position in which they can hire someone for all of that. Um, so, you know, with regard to that, I still had to decide, you know, am I coming back to this or not after I'm traveling? And that was when I felt like, you know, I really, I feel like this journey has been amazing. I love it. And I feel like if I can, you know, that, that kind of like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yes. If I can make it here in photography in New York City, one of the most competitive photography markets, um, then maybe I can also make it um, with business consulting and Reiki. So, um, yeah. So that was the, that was, that was a decision to make the clear cut. It was a decision for growth. It was a decision that I had really reached the end of that journey mm -hmm. and learned as much as I could learn. Um, and also a decision to support other artists doing, reaching that place for themselves as well. That was like, if I can do this and if I can feel really confident about the place that I reached with this arts business career, it would be amazing to see more artists get there. Like yeah. I would love for people to have that, that sense of like, I have control over my life, my career. I am being, being valued for the work that I create. And so I really wanted to give that to other people. Yeah. And I think as creatives, we, we do need to, uh, remember that we are valuable and we do deserve to get paid for what we're doing. I mean, photography is might be a little easier than some of the other performing arts, depending on which way you go. I mean, if you land a big Broadway show, you, you're getting paid pretty well. Or, you know, if you get a movie or a TV show, then you are. But, you know, doing smaller theater, doing smaller companies and things like that, it's a little bit more of a struggle. Um, something I notice about you that keeps coming up is that you always want to do, you want to make sure, you want to do something for someone else. And you're always kind of holding space for someone else to succeed. Um, you know, you said that about your you know, your music, going into music education and then going into photography, you wanted to just give something help back people. to your friends yeah. and help them. And then, you know, consulting, you're like, I want to help people in Reiki. And I mean, and I noticed that, you know, because we are also friends and, you know, I noticed that, that you hold space for your friends to just kind of black. <laughs> and I'm definitely someone that goes black all the time. <laughs> So, you know, it makes sense that, that those, that I almost wonder if how we are as people kind of determine the road. Like the other day, the person I was talking to, she said, New York chooses you. And I always felt like dance chose me. So, you know, do you feel like all these things that you've done have just kind of been something that you know, that has chosen you or that you felt compelled to do? I definitely, the idea of something choosing you definitely resonates. Um, I think that we can only recognize that when our mind is open enough mm -hmm. to, and we are in a place of recognizing where we are being chosen, right? Yeah. Um, and recognizing requests as opportunities. Some people are so overwhelmed that any new request upon them is a burden, right. right? And so in that place, you're just dealing with what you have going on right now, and you can't see your other opportunities at hand. Um, and I think certainly there were times in my own life and in my own business where I just could not take in any new input. So... I think that in order to understand and recognize those those opportunities and those openings and the ways that we can serve people in unique and different ways if we want to pivot or we want to find something new, um, 
or we just want to stay open to the possibilities, right? Maybe we aren't looking for a pivot. I certainly wasn't looking for a pivot any of those times, but I was open to the possibility of helping people. Mm-hmm. And in that space of opening, um, it was other people who recognized my gift and told me, I really like this. I really want to pay for this. I really want you to do this for me. <laughs> and I was like, Yes, I want to be valued for the things that I love to do. Yeah. Because I love helping people. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I love that. So um, I know with the consulting business, you, this, what was it, last year that you created it? Or maybe it was in 2018. I can't even remember. Um, oh, it's actually, it's the consulting business I, I've been doing about 10 years, but it's been, you know, on the side. So right. it really kind of kicked off, I would say when I started doing workshops, um, in the wedding photo industry. Right. Um, even before that I was doing consulting before I started doing workshops. So it was once I started writing that blog, um, that things really started kicking up. Yeah. And you created a creative or a, what was it? A pricing workbook for creatives. (laughs) Pricing workbook for creatives. That project, that book came out of so many consulting sessions um, because one of the things I found in it, <laughs> so many consulting sessions when they were related to business um, was that people didn't have a basic understanding of the things that need to go into their pricing. Mm-hmm. They were looking at what other people were doing. They were looking at um, what the market tells them they should do. They were looking at like what wedding blogs were telling them they should do. They were looking at like those things. They were not looking at what their own needs were. And um, I did have business training before I entered photography and even before I entered music education. Um, it was, and I had been also working in corporate and management and working on the numbers for businesses. So I had already some background in this. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to apply it to my own business, I could see that how is it that I need to charge like $5,000 to do this job? And those people don't like, how is that even possible? My cost of living is low. I don't have children. Um, you know, like, I'm just running the basic numbers here and I'm seeing that all these other people are, are nowhere near they need to be in order to be profitable. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was through that process of of like helping other people work on their numbers, helping other people build their, their confidence in what their price really needs to be that I was like, I could just put this in a book. If people could just have this, it's, it's really simple. It's really easy math. But it is a series of formulas that you have to do in kind of a consecutive way. Mm -hmm. And when you do them in that consecutive way, what I found, and this was something I kind of played around with, I found that people really started to value themselves without regard to the market. Right. I found that like, okay, so yes, this works. Like this works in consulting. Once people start doing it in this way, they start valuing themselves. They start thinking about things in a different way. They no longer are trying to just appeal to the bottom of the market. They aren't trying to appeal to the client's need for a discount. They, they have built this brick wall of confidence in which they can say, I'm sorry, I really can't do this job for less. It's, it's very costly for me as well. And, um, and once they have that confidence, like the sky's the limit because they can build on, on that. Yeah. But it's really hard to build on a shaky foundation that has a lack of understanding. So right. the pricing workbook for creatives really was my way to help people build that foundation. And when you said that, like you have that rock solid confidence, I mean, as, as artists, we train ourselves to have that rock solid confidence in our in whether it's, you know, singing, dancing, acting, painting, you know, and you're walking in armed and going, here I am, this is what I can do. I know I'm good for this part, you know, and sometimes they say, well, you know, I don't know if I see you in that, you know, you have to kind of be like, all right, I guess I didn't solve your problem today, you know, and and keep going. And so I think that's really important for, for, creatives and business owners to kind of arm themselves with that confidence so that they can walk into that meeting and say, this is what I need. 
and here I am, this is what I can do for you. And then when they say, I don't know, that's not quite, you're like, well, you know, I guess today isn't your, you know, my day to work with you. And maybe another time kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I like how you really have to just build up that knowledge and confidence and that base to be able to have a business that's successful and something that you feel good about. Yeah, definitely. And I, I was actually surprised when somebody reached out to me from like the theater industry about the book and, um, they started describing to me how the formulas were really applicable even in like a theater organization. So even if the, the structure, the structure in total, um, is more designed for like an independent creative or a sole Mm -hmm. proprietor, um, they were able to take like the individual worksheets and templates and um, find new ways of problem solving their fundraising needs and their like grant funding needs. Um, because I think one of the things that we fail to think about often as creatives, as we're focused gig to gig or job to job, um, we fail to think about the larger picture of where we want to go and right. how we're going to get there. Yeah. And so there's a structure in the book that helps to really think about that. Think about like, where do I want to go? How do I want to get there? How do I want to build the resources from where I am right now? to help me get there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I know you say, so what is your, your big burning desire, you know, to do now that you, you know, you're doing all these things. What is the one thing you really would love to be doing? I mean, I'm always just trying to live the life I want to live. Like whatever that means in the moment, like right now that's being with you, you know, (laughs) Um, um, you know, like in, um, in July, it could be, you know, getting myself to a beach that's actually open. What does that look like? How do I get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then I asked you, and then I asked you, what's something no one knows about you? You said, well, if I tell you, then everyone will know. So what's something, (laughs) what's something that people would find surprising, maybe? Like a little... Hmm. That's always a, a, an interesting question for me. And I really have to think about that because there are so many things that I think are normal that other people think are interesting. Um, it is weird. It's still weird to me that I have kind of this x-ray vision into other people's bodies. Um, it's not like a physical vision. <laughs> I'm not literally physical. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Um, but it's a sensory vision. It's, um, you know, walking by somebody and feeling very concretely in my own body, an issue that they have, um, that comes as I approach them and disappears as I walk away from them. This is just so strange to me. Um, and I, I do get to use it and share it with people who don't have that sensory, um, experience of themselves. Yeah. And that's helpful. And, and I mean, I've had some really cool case studies around that. Um, I would love to do more medical research around it to understand it, just to understand the intuitive aspects of it, how it works. It really feels like, like bodies send out Wi-Fi signals, uh-huh. uh, that, uh, have certain shapes and frequencies and kind of information away Uh, and I don't think science understands that fully like we kind of understand it like we kind of understand it like through a lie detector test Uh right okay we understand the body has sent out extra moisture extra heat maybe a raised heart rate and all of those things together tell us this person is not in alignment with, with their words yeah and I feel that without a lie detector test it's very palpable to me so it's very hard to me to be in a room with people who lie. <laughs> <laughs> LA, Los Angeles, terrible place for me. Can't, can't, can't do it. Nope, nope. Do not say the nice thing while you think the mean thing. I can't handle it. I'm like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-mm. <laughs> You're like, girl, I know what you're saying. <laughs> what you saying ain't matching this. <laughs> So that's weird to me. I mean, but it's there. It's palpable. And I think I think a lot of people have that to some extent. Yeah. Um, like, 
uh, it doesn't quite sound like you're convinced of what you're saying. Right. You know, right. Right. Well, I mean, I think a lot of us have like that gut instinct, that intuition that we don't always follow. So in some ways, you know, why do we, why do we feel that way? Who knows? (laughs) You know, so that's really cool. I like, I, I find that interesting. And you've told me stories about, you know, feeling a certain way. And then you've mentioned it to that person and they end up like, having some kind of heart issue. And it's like, interesting. How the heck did yeah. you even know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is, you know, and it's, it requires a lot of permission too because people don't always want to know what's going on with them. And so it feels safe in a client environment where people have asked me to right. kind of examine them in that way. Um, but I also always defer to a medical professional. If I feel anything, it's, I cannot tell anyone like, oh, this is this. I can say, have you been to a cardiologist lately? Or, you know, like, have you seen an endo lately? Or, you know, whatever. And oftentimes people have their own intuition that they, just by having somebody else confirm it, confirms for them they need to take it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So a little bit about the current situation. (laughs) You know, um, I mean, we were actually together because I went to Paris because you were traveling and we were like, we were there for a whirlwind day before we were told, um, everybody's got to come back to the U.S. And so I immediately left and I think you, you kind of closed up things and came back. How, how are you doing? I mean, what is this like day six? 70 or, I don't know, 507,000 <laughs> quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm sad about a lot of the world travel plans that have been canceled. Um, we had so many great things planned for our remaining time in Paris, and those all got canceled. I had some great world travel, like, through inner China um, travel plans to Tibet and just there were so many wonderful travel plans that I am not doing right now right and will not be doing through um I think most of the plans have been canceled through August there may be a September thing still waiting to determine its outcome um and that may just be because they're just trying to manage what happened in the spring and what happened in the summer and they can't get to the fall calendar yet but um in the meantime, I've been working a lot more than I had planned on working. <laughs> I was planning on being on vacation, and I could still choose that for myself. I choose it with the little hammock I set up in the backyard and uh-huh. an occasional, you know, like tiki-style cocktail or watching movies or watching travel videos of places I should have been on the day I should have been there. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, you know, just wanting to be helpful and useful to other people um, in the place of not being able to just go out and adventure places still makes me very happy. So That's good. I would yeah. say I'm still choosing happiness at the end of the day. It's just in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, now you have this time because you're staying with your mom. So now you have this time with family that you weren't going to have. So maybe that's a bonus. I mean, some people may look at that as a bonus. Some may feel like, God, I'm going to spend time with the family. So (laughs) luckily I have a great relationship with my mom and we were actually supposed to do a lot of this travel together. Like we were on, we were planned for like a 27 day through China together. Um, So in some ways, we're still spending the time together that we would have spent together. Uh Um, We're just doing it in a more quarantined way. Right. And we're cooking a lot more meals instead of having meals made by chefs. So, um. Which is such an awful thing. <laughs> I'm like so sick of cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We definitely like, I think, you know, maybe originally we were doing like one day of takeout a week and I think we're starting to increase our frequency because we're both a little done with cooking. Yeah. I mean, I'm done with cooking. I've never been a very good cook. And so, you know, when I had moved out to California, I was having to cook more because you didn't have the convenience of New York. 
you know, you, you had to drive somewhere and like, yeah, there wasn't, you know, the little hole in the wall that you could get really good food, really cheap. So I had to cook, but then as soon as I got back to New York, I was like, Ooh, Ooh, why do I have to cook? It's so good to being back in New York. Um, I'm scheduled to go back in the fall because our apartment was sublet um, for that year of travel. And so once that sublet is up, I look forward to being back in New York in the fall and enjoying all of my local delivery and uh, takeout op- options. So yes. I am really looking forward to that. And hopefully and by friends. yes, hopefully by the Socially fall we will be like in parks. <laughs> yeah, I mean socially distant. You know, I mean. Hopefully by the fall we're not totally quarantined, but you know I'm not I'm not anxious to jump on that subway. Right, <laughs> right, and it's and it's nice that like it's nice to live in an area where a bike is possible to get from one place to another. Walking is possible to get from one place to another. Um, like I find that in New York I walk so much more because. You know, if it's a mile away, I would rather just walk it and just enjoy whatever fresh air I can get. Yeah. But here in Michigan, everything is a drive away. The only walking I do is when it's just like for exercise or just neighborhood walking. But I'm not, I'm not really getting anywhere. I'm not, you know, I still have to drive somewhere to get where I want to go. Yeah. 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 It's more about the destination and not the journey. Yeah, yeah, where New York is very like, oh, you see so many things along the way and every every occasion to just like go get a grocery or to go get takeout is, um, there's a little adventure along the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, is there anything you want to share with the rest of us on how to kind of get through this quarantine? Because we have been here for 6,570 million years yeah I think I'm I think we're all you know there are these waves of grief that pass over and sometimes we get really um you know they they take a hold of our energy and they bring us down and I think it's important to honor those cycles um in a way that we allow them to happen rather than fighting them whenever possible so that we can recharge our battery. Cause I think that, that there is an element to this whole like quarantine that is just the ability to process uh-huh. that downtime or that grief or that sadness or whatever it is, because it's in the air. There are thousands of people dying, you know, every day, like it's yeah. in the air. Yeah. Um, and so it's important just to like honor that, but to also make the most of the opportunities that come from taking a pause or from being able to work from home, like the connections with family or innovating on a business um, or finding new ways to do things. Like it has been amazing to see musicians adjust from being ensemble musicians in person to being online musicians. That's a lot of adjustment that they have had to do in a very short period of time like these Disney sing-along things that have been happening on TV, an American Idol happening, like, from people's homes. Um, (laughs) I think there's a lot of opportunity to innovate and to kind of, like, it's in some ways forcing people to work on themselves. Yeah. Forcing people to go inward more. And there's a lot of rich information in that space. And if people take advantage of it and they really come to understand themselves more, their own energetic pattern more, what re- what they need for their own happiness and their own joy, regardless of where they are, or what the situation is, they can come out of this healthier and happier yeah. in every environment they're in. And I think a lot of these, these things like American Idol happening from their homes is a lot of also letting go of kind of previous expectations and saying, yeah. you know what, at least right now, this is this is okay. And then kind of looking and saying, how can I improve upon that? You know, how can I improve upon having now that everyone's zooming, you know, how can I improve upon that? Or how can I, or what's really important? I mean, more and more, it's like, for me, I mean, I always knew friends and, and being around people was really important, but I know that that's something that I definitely need and want. 
And I think the push to do these interviews is just a way for me to connect with people from being stuck in my house. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we're going to that you've been thinking about for a long time and this is the space and the time and the opportunity to like well why not now yeah right yeah 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 and not knowing where it's going to lead or what it's you know might just be hey okay with that yeah yeah allowing it to be like well let's just try this and see what happens yeah yeah well this has been so great I love I always love hearing your journey from, you know, being a artist into, I mean, you're still creative. You're still being creative every day. Um, But how those transitions kind of developed the next thing and how you carried all of those talents and all those um, things that you do really well into the next phase. And that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I can't do that because I don't know how. You know, I'm sure you might have you might have gone through that in your head, but you still went forward. Which well, I'm I there are definitely things I don't want to do, and those are usually attached to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hear you. I know. I'm like, please don't make me do a nine to five, even though I'm like working like you know six to to midnight on my own business. Yeah, but, but it's definitely different. It's definitely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I will put all the links to all the stuff. And um, I mean, is there anything that you wanted to say before we go? Um, Don't be afraid to fail because failure equals learning and the ability to do better the next time. That's awesome. I like that. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) all right right, have a great day all right thank you thanks thank you for listening to act two interviews there will be links to everything that ann and i talked about in the show notes next week on act two interviews i will be interviewing jamie carson of carson skin a former professional theatrical makeup artist and currently the owner of carson skin a boutique skincare studio here in Manhattan. And Jamie and I will talk all about how she is an in-person business and loves being able to be with her clients and touch them and impart all of her knowledge so that their skin looks great and they feel great. Thank you for listening to Act Two Interviews. I'm your host, Sophia Negrone. Please make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and share with all your friends. Have a great day.